I don't know if you've been to California. I got my first chance to go to California in the year 2000, about 20 years ago. And when I got there, I was introduced to a fast food chain called In-N-Out Burger. Anybody been to In-N-Out Burger? Uh, it was good. And now every time I go back to California, I want to go to In-N-Out Burger. I like In-N-Out Burger. I think it's a great chain. I would even say it's even better than Dick's uh, here in Seattle. Just I, don't shoot me. Don't send me too many emails about that one. But anyway, it is a great chain. It was actually one of the first drive through burger joints in California, obviously in California, one of the first ones in the country. It was started in 1948. The first one actually was in, uh, created in Missouri called the Giant Hamburg. It was on Route 66 in Missouri. It started in 1947. And so we are in the age of the fast food uh, phenomena, and In-N-Out Burger is one of those phenomena. And well, when I go to In-N-Out Burger, I go there to get a good burger. I go there to get fed. I go there to get nourishment and to nourishment for the journey ahead. I don't stay at In-N-Out Burger. I don't hang out at In-N-Out Burger. In fact, most places, uh, drive through places, we don't spend a lot of time there. We go there to get sustenance for the journey. If you're driving somewhere or on a journey somewhere, and think about the church as, in a way, is an in-and-out church, right? We're we're not to be just hanging out at church all the time as people of God, as, as God's people and as followers of Jesus. And if you're new to the faith, uh, today's message is really going to be about what it is to be on mission for Jesus and to be a follower of Jesus in the world. And that may be a new concept for you. But, uh, and so I hope that you can glean some things out of this message this morning as we talk about the mission of our church but this idea is that, we, that the church is really the place we get sustenance for the journey of following Jesus, of getting fed, so to speak, of getting encouragement uh, so that we can be strengthened and challenged and encouraged in our journey to follow Jesus in the world and to be in this world and to be Jesus in this world. Notice that that's exactly the kind of pattern we see in Jesus' words to his first disciples. He goes along, and again, he says, follow me, right? We, talk, we had a sermon series in the fall called Follow Me about following Jesus and the words of Jesus. And here we see it again in this passage in Mark. But the first thing he says to the would-be disciples, he said, come, come to me, right? That the first step of discipleship is really to come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's part of the, the, the following. That's part of the discipleship. But that's just the first step. Then the second word he uses is follow. Like what he's saying is, hang out with me, follow me. Don't, don't hang out at the church, so to speak. Don't hang out just at the church, but follow Jesus. Hang out with Jesus, spend time with Jesus. Learn the ways of Jesus, right? Not the ways of the force, but the ways of Jesus, right? And we want to learn to think and act like Jesus as followers and disciples. And so that's what he's inviting them to. He says, come into a personal relationship with me and then learn my ways. Learn what it's like to be like me in the world, and then the third thing he says is he sends them, right? And this is the missional aspect of the gospel. This is a missional aspect of discipleship. We are actually to be sent as disciples into the world around us. And a lot of times we think of sending uh, as, a, as, a, as an action to go out and to do something in the world, which it is. Now, I heard one of our saints here at our church uh, say to me one time, it stuck with me, she said, I've always thought of our church as a sending church. And I, I agree with that. I think we are a sending church. We're ultimately to send disciples out into our city and into our world. To not only, so it's not just about coming and following, but also sending. 
Now, what are we sent to do, right? We're sent to be fishers of people. Now, when I first heard this, I grew up fishing with my dad. So my immediate reaction to that idea of fishing was what I learned to do, which was fishing with a pole, right? You know, I think about fishing with a pole. And so when you fish with this way, uh, you cast out your lure and you put it in the water. Maybe you got some bait on it and, you're, and you put it out there and you set, the, set it out there and then you, you know, you sit down in a lawn chair, you crack open a cooler, grab a drink, pull your hat down around, and you wait for the fish to come to you. You wait uh, for the, 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 the lure to attract a fish to where you are, right? And this is a very passive, uh, we would even call it recreational leisure of fishing. And I think a lot of times we in the church sometimes think of this metaphor of fishing, right? We wait for someone to swim by and come into our worship service, and then we tell them about Jesus, or then they connect them to Jesus. And we wait for them to come to us. We try and lure them into our worship experience, right? This is not the metaphor that Jesus was going with. This is, this is our North American 21st century idea of fishing. Fishing in the first century did not include a rod, did it? In fact, if you listen to the passage, what did it include? Not a rod, but a net, right? And so the net was the way that the, fisher, the, uh, that the first disciples were fishing. This was very active and took a lot of work. They would have to mend their nets, make their nets, then they would load their nets into a boat. They would sail or row their boat out into the Sea of Galilee. Then they would cast their nets out into the water, and they were always going to where they thought the fish were. They didn't wait for the fish to come to them. They weren't trying to attract the fish to themselves. It was this continuous action of going out into the sea where the fish are, and casting the net and hauling the net in, and casting the net and hauling. This took more than one person to do. It took more than one person to haul that net in, especially if there were fish in it. So you'd find fishermen working together. It's interesting that Jesus also sends us out, not alone, but together with other partners and people in this action. And what they're doing is they're casting a net, right? They're casting a net out into the waters. Now, I think to be on mission to go fish for people today is the same thing. We are, are to cast a net in our city as a church. And what would it be, look like for us to be actively fishing for people and casting that net into our city? What would that look like? I think the first thing it would look like would entail us being called to be Jesus in this city. And that means this particular city. And that means that our city that we live in is our mission field where we're to be casting that net. Uh, I've served a few churches over the years, and one of the churches that we served uh, had a sign over its door. As you left the church building, over the door, the main exit, there was a sign that, that read, you are now entering the mission field, right? It was an in and out church. It was we're, you're going out into the mission field, right? Another church uh, I served, on your way out of the parking lot, as you drove out of the parking lot, there was a little sign as you headed out, and on the sign it said, Servant's Entrance, which means you're going out to serve the world, right? It was a reminder. These are reminders that our work and our activity and our, and our discipleship is to be done out there, right? Not just in the church building. 
And that's why I love that our mission statement at our church, when you do physically, are physically here and physically leave the building, you see our mission statement on the back wall as you exit the church. And it says to love people, connect them to Jesus and serve the world, right? That's what they were to be doing as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's discipleship. That's part of our discipleship. So that's our mission. The other thing is that, did you know that in the year 2000, there was a shift in mission work? There was a significant shift in global mission work in the year 2000. What happened in 2000 was this, that up until 2000, North American churches were sending missionaries into the world, right? We were sending them all over the globe, and we're still doing that today. But in the year 2000, a shift happened, and the world started sending more missionaries than North America. So we, we, we were sent out, and people became Christians and followed Christ in other countries. Now those mature Christians are now sending missionaries back to us. They see us as the mission field. Think about it. Think about how global missions has shifted in that way. And that's what I, I love that our church is about global missions But maybe what's happened in our focus on global missions on the ends of the earth is that we've neglected our Jerusalem, our city. And maybe the reason that our city is so broken, and we we have different opinions about that, but we can look around our city and we see the needs of our city and and the, the brokenness of our city, and we may cry that, decry that, but maybe that's because we've focused elsewhere, right? We've not seen the city as our mission field. And it's a tough place to be. This is a tough mission field. This is rocky soil, as the Gospels would say. So it's hard to be on mission in the city. And it's challenging to be fishing for people in a city that sometimes doesn't want to hear about Jesus. It's because we're in a post-Christian era. But still, this is our mission field. This is our church's mission field. And we need missional leaders committed to, to being, seeing the city as a mission field and seeing that we can make a difference here in our city to bring healing to the brokenness that we see around us. And so that's part of it, is that what does it look like for us to be fishing with a net in our city? That means we're going to be, need to be like Jesus in the city. And that follows up with this idea that we also need to be more like Jesus in the city. We need followers committed to being more like Jesus in the city. So what do we mean by more like Jesus? Well, we've been, we have some pretty good roots about being Jesus. And one of the things that we've maybe neglected over the past several decades is really the social aspect of the gospel, the physical need meeting that goes along with the spiritual need meeting. And we've done a great job in, in our, our church to meet the spiritual needs of people, and we'll continue to do that and to share Christ with people. In some ways, though, we've lost some of our historic roots around in free Methodism, which put both of these things together, of the social aspect and the personal relationship aspect of following Jesus. For example, our free Methodist bishops have put out a document called the Free Methodist Way, and I want to share just some of the highlights with you they put out. This came out a couple weeks ago before Christmas, and here's some of the things they talk about. The first one is life-giving holiness. Then love-driven justice. Notice how they put these two things together, life-giving holiness and love-driven justice together. Christ-compelled multiplication, that's reproducing, making other disciples. Cross-cultural collaboration, working across 
ethnic uh, backgrounds, race, all those things, and collaborating and problem-solving together. And then God-given revelation, the, the foundation of Scripture that God has given us. And so these five things are part of the free Methodist way that our bishops have given to us. And so we need people who will be, to, be together and bring life-giving holiness and love-driven justice together again, right? That's actually historical for us as a free Methodist church. We were not only evangelical church, but we were also a social gospel church. We, uh, the founders were the first, was the first one to make a statement of ordaining women and wanting to ordain women well before the rest of the church was thinking about it. Also, anti-slavery uh, in our historical roots, that they were against slavery at a time when, of civil war and at a time post-civil war era, and they were standing firm against that. And so that what was happening was there was love-driven justice and life-giving holiness that were brought together in the expression of being like Jesus in the world. And somewhere along the way, maybe we've lost some of those roots, right? And part of it is, is that even today we see that we're in this kind of mentality of it's either or, right? It's either life-giving holiness, personal relationship with Jesus, or it's love-driven justice. So either or. You're either on one side of that or the other. You're either for one and against the other or for the other, vice versa, right? And there's this pressure actually within our society right now to choose a side, right? (laughs) To pick a side. Like you're either going to be on one side or the other. That's where things are lining up. And it's been a tough year because this either-or thinking is problematic. And the problem with either-or thinking is that it doesn't hold together both. And we want to hold together both these things. We're not choosing a side on on this idea of love-driven justice and life-giving holiness. We're holding on to both And we need to bring together both as a part of the whole gospel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what is that? We need to be thinking about that into the future. So one of the problems with, though, with either or thinking is that we begin to fall into this other type of thinking, which is called demonization, where we begin to then, you're either for me or you're against me. It's us, them, right? Either or. And then what happens next is then we begin to then demonize the other. We begin to say that the other person is in league with the devil, the evil one, and we're on the good side. No matter what side you see yourself on, you're ultimately also think about how you're viewing the other side. Uh, Some examples I've seen this year, one is I've seen conservatives uh, uh, send blogs or send sermons from conservative preachers that are demonizing the progressive liberal side or the social justice side. And what that demonization is saying is they're basically in league with the devil. Their agenda is driven uh, by Satan, so to speak. And so I see that happening. I've also seen this from progressive liberals. Uh, For example, there was an image that went out calling people to a protest here in Seattle, and it was the back end of a Seattle Police Department vehicle, and the, the vehicle number was 666. And this person had said, let's protest the Seattle police because obviously, look at the number on the police squad car, the police department is in league with the devil, they are Satan themselves. And again, they, so what's happening, that's demonization. When we begin to see the other as completely evil and we see ourselves as completely good, like we're the, we're the good ones and they're the bad ones, right? Either or. And if you're not with us, then you're evil, you're bad, you're, you're with Satan, Right? And the problem with that, which is even darker, is that what happens is then we fail to see each other as made in the image of God. 
We fail to see that. And so when we see someone as evil or with the devil, that gives us an excuse to say whatever we want, to do whatever we want, to cut those people out of our lives, to do whatever we feel necessary because they're evil and we're not. That's either or thinking. That's the way that leads to more brokenness and polarization in our country. In fact, you've seen this graph before earlier in November that you see the polarization happening along political lines in our country. And these two poles are growing further and further apart as we've seen just recently in 2020. And so my question is, our question here is, what would it look like for us to stand in the gap between those two poles, to stand in the valley, so to speak, which is not a good popular place to be right now because our world's asking us to take a side. But what would it look like for us to stand in that gap, not because we're not choosing a side, but because we want to hold together the, the both sides, right? We want to hold together the whole gospel, so to speak. We want to be for both, not just an either or type of thinking. What would that look like for us to stand in the gap and to bring people together to the table of civil discourse and tolerance and extend grace to one another and to bring healing to the brokenness and solve our world's problems together, taking different perspectives and viewpoints and integrating them together to make better world and to be Jesus physically and spiritually in our world? What would that look like? This isn't about us reacting to the world around us. This is about doing what the gospel tells us, and also about what our roots tell us as well, that we hold these two things together. And the other thing is about followers of Jesus is they hold together because they believe in Jesus. We hold together because Jesus is our king and we serve a kingdom, not because of our politics. Jesus was not a Democrat or Republican. In fact, Jesus had both people, types of people, both viewpoints in his discipleship. If you look at the followers of Jesus, the first 12 disciples, Jesus invited a zealot and a tax collector to follow him. A zealot was someone who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted to rebel and seize power through military means to take over, to rebel, to take over back from the Roman government, their city. And so they were zealots. Jesus asked a zealot to follow him. The other person that Jesus asked to follow was a tax collector. A tax collector was actually working for the Roman government. They were complicit in the Roman agenda. They were uh, looked at very badly because they were in league with the Roman government, and so they were frowned upon. So notice that these two different political viewpoints from different disciples were brought together under Jesus' discipleship. He was saying, I want both of you to follow me. I want, I'm not for either one of you. I am for you to follow the ways of Jesus and to be Jesus in the world, right? And so when we talk about holding together as followers of Jesus, that's what we're talking about, that we're not going to let our political affiliations become more important than our discipleship, more important than Jesus in our lives. And in fact, the scriptures call us to this constantly. Ephesians 4, 2-3 says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Right? Do you hear these? Can we hear these words together? To be humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love love. God loves Democrats and God loves Republicans. God loves both. 
And we are called to be people of reconciliation and love, not demonization of one another. That becomes problematic. We're to be followers of Jesus and to show the world that there's a different way than polarization. The other thing is that means that we're also going to need to be willing to change as disciples. Followers willing to change to be Jesus, like we just talked about. That's going to require us to change and shift some in our ways of being Jesus. There's a lot of optimism coming into our new year because it's a new year and 2020 was such a hard year. Yet at the same time, the change of a calendar does not change the circumstances we're in. Uh, COVID didn't go away because it's a new year. It's still here. There's still unrest in our streets and in our city, not because the day, they're going to continue. And so a change in the calendar or a change in the clock of stroke of midnight does not change our circumstances. And we only, the only way we will change this, way, this city and change the world around us is as if we're willing to change. And we're willing to work towards change in our city and for Jesus and to bring Jesus to our city. It is hard. Our city is a hard place to be. And yet I think, and I think we believe, that Jesus is exactly what our city needs right now. And we need to come together in this city to solve our problems together. So change comes when we're intentional and have a plan to change. And I will tell you that I personally am willing to change as a leader of, free, of First Free Methodist Church going into the new year, to focus more on being missional and casting a net in our city and developing and equipping leaders who will be a part of that. So that's where I'm going to spend more of my time, that my plan, my intentionality is to spend more of my time in focusing on our mission and less on maintaining the membership or status quo of our church. So that's where we're moving. I'm, I'm willing to move in the next year. And also, I want to invest in other disciple makers. Like, I want to invest time and energy in people who are helping other people follow Jesus and reproducing themselves. That's the kind of leadership and that's the kind of people we're going to need moving forward. The next wave of our existence is going to be critical for this type of people and leadership and commitment to our mission moving forward. So I want to also share with you as we wrap up some aspirations that we have as a church. Our leadership team and staff have been talking about this. We shared this at our virtual church hall meeting in December and I want to remind us of this is that this is, these are our aspirations. This is what we're aspiring to. We have not arrived. We don't have all the answers. We haven't figured it all out. And let's just be honest and humble enough as the passage taught us to say we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. But here's what we're aspiring to. Here's where we want to go. We aspire to grow our church through the making of disciples rather than church members. We want to focus on discipleship, on following Jesus. We aspire to invest in disciples that make other disciples so that are reproducing and sharing their faith and sharing the love of Christ with people tangibly, physically, as well as spiritually. That we aspire to have baptisms be a regular occurrence in our worship. What that means is that baptism is a sign that God's at work in a person's life and they're making a connection to Jesus and choosing to not only come to Jesus but follow Jesus, as the passage has said. We aspire also to be an intergenerational community. Now, we've aspired to this for several years now, and yet we have not yet, we've not actually embraced it and seen it lived out. So this actually is what will require of us, is it will require us to recognize that we will need to grow younger disciples, and 
more diverse, ethnically diverse disciples in our church. We're going to need to, to do that to embody God's vision for our city, for the church, for what God wants to do in our city. And we aspire to build a healthy spiritual community, a community on a journey of following Jesus together, practicing the five practices of discipleship that we uh, call our core practices here. And if you, as a reminder, it's to live honestly, teach one another to follow Jesus, invite others to follow Jesus, practice hospitality, and to do justice. And maybe we need to change that last one and borrow some of our bishop's words and say love-driven justice. I love that phrase, love-driven justice, restoration, reconciliation. And so the next three to five years, for this, these aspirations to actually be, be, be uh, lived into, we're going to not only need to change, but I believe that the next three to five years of our church's life is critical to this. We either, arrive, we either move in this direction or we don't in the next three to five years. And the next three to five years will determine the future of our church. This is a critical time in our church's life. This year is a critical year in our church's life. Because in the next year, we will have to figure out, again, change, adapt, figure out how to be a fidgetal church. That's a new phrase that's been used this past year, how to be physical and digital at the same time. How do we be both, both of these? And that's the, put the word physical, digital, fidgetal. And there are going to be times where we're going to need to be hands-on in our neighborhoods and in our community. And there are going to be times when we're going to be able to be digital and get... Uh, get encouragement digitally. And so we'll have to figure that out and think about how we go back to in-person services this year. There's a lot of things that we're going to have to adapt to in the coming year. So this year will be critical for us to, in a sense, jumpstart our mission. It's also going to be critical in the next three to five years as to whether we're actually going to make the shift and whether we'll embrace the mission or not, whether we'll continue to go about our business and act like everything's normal again, or will we embrace the mission of Jesus Christ in our city? It's up to us, right, to make that change, to embrace that vision and mission. The other thing is, is that our strategy to do this is really to get back to casting a net into our city, to create other opportunities in neighborhoods around our city for people to connect to Jesus, to, to love them in the neighborhood, to connect them, to go where they're living, to go where they are, not wait for them to kind of somehow swim into our church worship experience, but to really go out and be this net in the city. Last uh, fall, this past fall, we started doing something along these lines. We did a prayer walk in Magnolia. That's Magnolia is where I live, and so I said, what better place to start this than in my own neighborhood? And so 20 of us gathered in our neighborhood, and we walked through the neighborhood because the first step we take in our neighborhood is to pray about it, pray over our neighborhood, to ask God some questions about our neighborhood. And so we prayed. We walked uh, about three miles together, 20, 20 of us, and we prayed over different spots in our community. We also engaged people. People asked us, what are you guys doing out here? And they would have never asked that. They would have never come to our church and seen us in our church building. But they saw us, and we were being a witness to them as we were out in the community. And so we prayed with some people. Some people just got curious about why we were out there. And so we prayed and we engaged. But at the end of our prayer walk, we asked ourselves this question. God, what do you want us to do in this neighborhood for your kingdom? God, what do you want us to do in this neighborhood for your kingdom? I want to invite you to pray that prayer in your neighborhood. And we'll make this commit. I'll make this commitment to you that if you want to pray that prayer in your neighborhood, I will come pray that prayer with you in your neighborhood, wherever you're at. 
We'll put masks on, whatever, socially distance, all that. But to be physically present in your neighborhood and say, God, what is it you want us to do in, that, in our neighborhood, right? To cast this net into our neighborhood so that we have something happening that is connecting and reaching people, working in partnerships with nonprofits, whatever it looks like. We don't, we, we, we don't know what it's going to look like. We want to allow you and the God and the Holy Spirit to help us figure that out in your neighborhood. And so we're willing, I'm willing to come pray with you and to ask that question in your neighborhood, what that would look like. So if you're willing to pray, let us know. We would love to partner with you because that's the kind of missional leaders we're going to need. Those are the kind of leaders and people we'll need is a heart for being Jesus in the city. And I hope you'll join us in that mission and whatever it looks like. We're just open-handed with this one. We're just saying, God, what do you want us to do here in the city? How can we make this our mission field? And how can we be Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus in our neighborhoods? Let's pray together.